The ayes are 232. The nays are 197. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. History made. After inciting an insurrection against the United States, Donald Trump became the first president to ever be impeached twice. Congress invoking this rarely used tool for the second time in almost a year is shocking, but not terribly surprising that this is where we've ended up. But this time, there was no long-running hearings, no quid pro quo, no long list of Ukrainian characters, just the simple facts laid out. The president urged his supporters to come to D.C. to overturn the election, and that's exactly what they tried to do. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And we're going to the Capitol. We're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. And in the days since, he has refused to take responsibility and shown a complete lack of remorse. They've analyzed my speech and my words and my final paragraph, my final sentence, and everybody to the T thought it was totally appropriate. Okay, thank you. Hello, I'm CNN senior political reporter, Nia Malika Henderson. And I'm CNN political director, David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. This moment in time is unprecedented, and although it feels like we say that every week on this podcast, this moment truly is. The president has been impeached by the House with less than a week in his term and until a new president is inaugurated in what has become, quite frankly, a militarized Washington, D.C. So you're probably wondering, what's going to happen next? In this episode, we're going to walk you through not only the what's to come in this historic moment, but also what this push for accountability in the final days of the Trump presidency means for the country moving forward. To do that, we'll be joined this week by CNN correspondent Ryan Nobles. There's no one better to walk us through impeachment and what it means moving forward as the nation seeks accountability and unity. Ryan just finished covering the Trump campaign and will now be one of CNN's congressional correspondents. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. So, Ryan, first off, congratulations on your big new assignment. This is so awesome for you. Thanks, Nia. I'm so excited. I don't think there's a better time to be on Capitol Hill. Yeah, and you're a great person to be covering it all for us at CNN. Can you walk us through that scene that we all saw on our televisions, this heavy military presence, and then, of course, the tense vote that followed? Nia, it's so hard to put into words. In some ways, it feels when you walk up on Capitol Hill that you're walking into the scene of a movie that has some sort of post-apocalyptic script. And I'm trying not to overstate it, but it really is remarkable, especially if you've ever been to Capitol Hill before. So to see it now, you know, there are these massive fences that scale the entire perimeter that you have to have, a, you know, a, a credential to get even past those fences. And everywhere you turn, there are members of the National Guard or law enforcement in full uniform. They are now armed, carrying big weapons. 
there are so many of them that they're just scattered all over the Capitol complex. And they're working in 24-hour shifts, so many of them are just finding places to nap in the middle of the Capitol. It was so eerie to see these members of the military in their full fatigues taking naps in places where you normally would see kids lining up to take school tours. Wow. So it is just a, an odd and and really, it was just sad for our country and it's sad that we've come to this place. And then, of course, that was against the backdrop of a dramatic impeachment vote, which, you know, wasn't really dramatic in terms of the outcome. We knew what was going to happen. But to see that there were Republicans that broke ranks and voted in favor of the impeachment and to, to be there for that historic moment, to see a president impeached for the second time, something that's never happened before was pretty remarkable. So on that, Ryan, on the impeachment itself, that history-making vote that we saw, we saw 10 Republicans joining with Democrats to vote to impeach President Trump this second time in his one term. Take us through what happens next. Now that the House is done and is handing this over to the Senate, how long is it going to take for this all to play out? That's really an open question right now, David. And most of it at this stage is in the hands of Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and who's not going to be the Senate Majority Leader for that much longer. McConnell made it pretty clear yesterday in a statement that he put out that he is not interested in bringing the Senate back before the change of power happens. The Democrats won't take control of the Senate until Kamala Harris is officially sworn in as vice president because she will break that 50-50 tie. And also those two senators elect from Georgia have yet to be officially certified. So McConnell still kind of controls the keys to this car right now. And he could, if he wanted to, bring everybody back. He and Chuck Schumer could do that. But McConnell's made the decision to basically punt on this. And he's going to put it in the hands of Chuck Schumer and the new Democratic majority after Joe Biden is sworn in. And that's an important point to make, that even though Donald Trump will no longer be in office, he could still be convicted of this impeachment. So the question I think we have now, David, is what is Mitch McConnell going to do after he's no longer majority leader? And the sense that we get, Manu Raju and others who are reporting on this, is that Mitch McConnell is at least open to the idea of voting to convict President Trump. And if he votes to convict President Trump, it is very likely that we could see some dominoes fall. There needs to be 17 Republicans that would need to cross the aisle and vote with the Democrats to make that happen. You know, the whip count isn't necessarily there yet, but if Mitch McConnell signals that he's okay with it, that's where we could really see history be made. And even though Donald Trump won't be removed from office, there will be long-term consequences as a result of this, the most obvious being that he won't be able to run again for president. And so, Ryan, what about the concern among some Democrats that this impeachment could really derail the beginning of Joe Biden's presidency? Even Joe Biden hasn't been, you know, gung-ho on this impeachment. He seems to be very lukewarm to the whole thing. He really is, Nia. I think that he, of all of the Democrats involved in this, seems to be the one most nervous about making a big spectacle of impeachment after Donald Trump leaves office. The perception that we're getting from Joe Biden and his world is that they would like to move on from the Trump era. They'd like to put that in the rearview mirror and not have to deal with it anymore and get a fresh start and kind of tackle these big issues that they think have been neglected over the past four years. The problem Democrats have right now is that the will and the energy, not just among 
you know, Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill, but also amongst their constituents, their voters, are telling them that they want to hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened on January 6th. And so what I think Joe Biden is recognizing and what you hear from the soon-to-be majority leader Chuck Schumer is that we can do both of these things. You know, we can work out the Senate calendar to deal with impeachment one part of the day and deal with, like, the important things like confirming the cabinet members that Joe Biden would like to see installed as soon as possible to get his agenda moving and even begin the process of negotiating a new COVID relief package. They think they can do both. Obviously, from our perspective, you know, we're probably going to be more focused on one thing over another because the spectacle of a trial and conviction will be so great. But Schumer's belief is that the capacity of the Senate exists to make both happen. And that seems to be the direction that they're leaning in right now. Ryan, as you said, obviously all eyes on McConnell to figure out sort of where the Senate goes here. Call me a skeptic (laughs) about 17 Republicans joining. And I think if McConnell really thought the path to successfully excising Donald Trump from the Republican Party was to convict and get his Republicans in the conference rallied around that, he would have held control onto the process. He would have called them back. He would have moved this very quickly. Time is on the side of the president's defense here, more likely than not. And that takes me to this question for you, Ryan, because you covered the Trump campaign and you traveled the country incessantly. You talked to his supporters that would show up at his rallies. We see the public polling right now that overwhelmingly Republicans are still very much in President Trump's corner. You witnessed a Trump rally basically turn into a riotous, deadly insurrection on Capitol Hill last week. If indeed, and I've heard this from some Republicans, the Senate goes through and actually does convict, does Donald Trump become a martyr for these most ardent supporters and actually solidifies his power position inside the party? I think that, more than anything, David, is the big concern that someone like Mitch McConnell has as he's calculating what the next best move is for the Republican Party. I think what the Republican Party in general is going to be grappling with in this next midterm election is the role that Donald Trump plays. Because if anything that we saw from the Georgia election, and having spent eight weeks there, I can still tell you that my perception is that it's still a center-right state. That is a right-leaning state. But Donald Trump and his presence proved to be toxic there. So the question that Republicans have to ask themselves is, you know, especially in statewide races, is Donald Trump a net benefit? And to your point, David, there is no doubt that his most ardent supporters are going to be with him through thick and thin. I think the question that a lot of people are asking is how long will they remain politically active if Donald Trump is still part of the picture? And if you remove the option of him running again, well, that's part of how he's no longer going to be in the picture. You've removed his kind of voice through social media. So that also could tamp down the role that he could play in all of this. But there is no doubt that concern of a backlash, that if you in many ways could fuel the fever that exists within the base of his party, the base of his support, I should say, if you continue to try and tamp him down. And, you know, Mitch McConnell is, above all things, a tactician. And you have to imagine that that's part of what he's trying to calculate, where the risk versus reward exists in this conviction process. And I could see the calculation being made that maybe this is the time to move on from him. But we've been saying that for a long time, right, David? We thought that was going to happen during the primary process. We thought that was going to happen at every different stage, and it hasn't happened. But maybe this is finally the time that they've gotten to that point. And in terms of Trump's next move, we saw him put out a video in the wake of this historic second impeachment. Here is what he had to say. 
There must be no violence, no law-breaking, and no vandalism of any kind. Everyone must follow our laws and obey the instructions of law enforcement. I have directed federal agencies to use all necessary resources to maintain order. Okay, so that, of course, was a measured tone, not exactly the same tone that he had last Wednesday. What can we expect from this president? He's not exactly a tactician, and you talked about Mitch McConnell (laughs) being a tactician. What do we think the next couple of days, the last lingering days of his presidency look like? Well, I think the first thing we have to ask is what is he going to do in terms of utilizing the power that he has left in the time that he has left? Is it going to mean a bevy of pardons? Does he make some sort of military move that could concern people? Does he try and pardon himself? Uh, you know, is there a whole list of executive orders that he tries to install as he walks out the door on issues like immigration or things along those lines? The thing I'm most interested in is where is Donald Trump's voice? You know, he's always had this kind of direct access to his supporters through social media. And that right now appears to be indefinitely taken away from him. And if he doesn't have that way to directly link to his people, I'm struggling to figure out how he continues to the momentum of his message. Because, you know, I think as media organizations, it's not as though we're going to ignore him, but the idea that we're going to cover every single thing that he says, if he puts out a press release, that's not going to be, you know, Wolf Blitzer's not going to break into coverage for that anymore because he's not, he's just a private citizen. So we've found time and time again that he's the only one that can tap into that energy at the level that he does. So that I think is the big unknown that we aren't gonna know for quite a while because we just are gonna have to see how it all plays out. Ryan, thanks so much. Thank you guys. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Nia, let's try to put some of the pieces together here for our listeners. What do you make of what Ryan was saying about the various interests and constituencies that are all sort of figuring into the political calculus of now what comes next since President Trump's been impeached again? Well, listen, I agree with you, David. It seems very, very unlikely that they're going to be able to amass 17 Republicans to actually convict him. And then if they convict him, of course, you'd need 51 votes to actually ban him from uh, running again for president, which is probably what Mitch McConnell wants. He wants to rid himself of Donald Trump. But he's also looking at a caucus in the Senate and a party more broadly that is full of people who think like Trump. You know, sometimes we think of the people who are siding with Trump as doing it out of just political expedience, political strategy. But I think it's also true that there isn't an insignificant number of Republicans that are just like Trump. So I think that's the big problem that Mitch McConnell faces, these people who are like Trump, not only in the base, but also in the Senate as well. So it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to amass 17 Republicans, 
And I'm even skeptical, even if he votes to convict, I still don't think they're 17, even though I know that's yeah, sort I, of the, con- yeah, I think that's the conventional wisdom. I just think it's wrong. I mean, I, I've sort of gone through the list of them and it's so hard. It's hard to come up with like seven, let alone uh, yeah, 17. I could come up with six. I've yeah, come up with right. six so far yeah, in that yeah. day, but you're right. I, can't, I am having a hard time getting to the seventh. But Nia, to your larger point, what I find so interesting in this moment for Republicans, what you're describing about the Republican Party and its trajectory into the Obama era fueled by the Tea Party and into the Trump sort of era of actually consolidating that energy on the right into delivering himself to the Oval Office, there's no doubt that has been the trajectory of the modern-day Republican Party. But as Ryan was saying, you're now dealing with somebody who was a one-term president, who lost the House, who lost the Senate, and there are some Republicans in Washington that think That may be where the energy and the sort of through line that is an organizing principle right now for the Republican Party, for its voters, for its members in Congress, like you're saying, but they don't think it's necessarily the long-term electoral successful path to take. And I don't know how that resolves itself, but it seems to me that's the work of the Republican Party right now. No, that, that's true. Figuring out how do you benefit from this expanded population of people who are black and brown participating in the electoral process in ways that they hadn't before, particularly Latinos, AAPI folks, the kind of coalition we saw in a state like Georgia. You know, we'll see what happens. I think all eyes are going to be on Mitch McConnell. It's slightly exhausting because we were sort of here before. So it's like we're going to be here again. What is Susan Collins going to do? What is Lisa Murkowski? going to do. But again, to your point... Isn't it amazing, though? Yeah. We're here again. Yeah, we're here again. But to your point, it's so hard. You know, I challenge our listeners to try to get to 17. And, you know, if you can, email us and let us know. (laughs) I just think it's amazing that this conversation that we're having right now about Republicans and what they're going to do in response to Trump is happening on the eve You know, we're six days away as we're recording this from the Biden inauguration and what the Biden presidency is going to get started with, despite his complete attempt to try and focus where he thinks the majority of the American people are focused on COVID and solving the crisis, getting the vaccine distribution ramped up and in a much more successful effort, the economic relief of all of that. And yet the Biden presidency is going to begin all about Donald Trump, just like the entire sort of Biden ascension and election to the presidency. It was all about Donald Trump, and that's where his presidency is going to begin as well. Yeah, and, you know, if you're Biden, you obviously hope it goes by quickly and you can also get some of these cabinet officials confirmed quickly because he's in this rare position as one of the few presidents I can remember in recent memory who won't actually be sworn in with nominees already confirmed. And particularly, you know, that's problematic in terms of the national security piece of it. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks so much for listening. If you could take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review, we'd really appreciate that. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you get our latest episode each week delivered right to you. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer, Raj Makija is the senior production manager, and Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo and Taylor Galgano are the team's production assistants. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you all next week.